Okay, cool. Well, I'm really glad to be uh, with you guys today. Um, after last week's message, somebody came up to me and pointed out that I didn't have any Dallas Willard quotes, and it was very disturbing. Uh, that's why I was okay. So um, I thought I would fix that by beginning this morning with a really good one. Okay, so here it is. The main thing that God gets out of your life is not the achievements you accomplish, but the person you become. Right? That's good. See, Dallas Willard, man, he delivers every time. Uh, see, this is quite different, though, than I think most of the way, the way that most of us kind of envision God's plan for our life. Because normally we think of God's plan, right, and we think about accomplishing things. Like, like, like we're just kind of a, a utility, like some, something that God makes use of. He makes use of our lives. Um, it's, 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 it's if, if, if that is all that the Christian life is, that's the way we think of it. We think of the Christian life as doing things for God. And let's be honest, there is some of that. Like, we, we can't live only in our heads. We actually have to live out our faith, right? I mean, Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of, of time for us to do. So certainly there's a, there's a doing element to the Christian life. This week, I got to go to Los Angeles, which I have mixed feelings about, um, and I got to be at a pastor's conference, which is, was really exciting, um, and on the way back on Thursday, um, I called an Uber to take me to, to the airport, um, and you know, it was seven miles away, so it took an hour. <laughs> um, it's Los Angeles, right? Uh, so so I, I, I um, got in the car, and I started to talk to the driver a little bit, because we were going to spend some time together. So we got to get to know each other. And she was a young woman from Istanbul, uh, Turkey. And as, as we talk, it, it came up, you know, after about 10 minutes, uh, that I'm a pastor and what I'm doing here. And uh, she didn't even know what a pastor was. She's like, oh, like a, like a priest? Like a, you take confessional and stuff like that? I'm like, no, not that kind of a thing. And, but you have no context for what I am. Uh, but she didn't really know what I was, but we just kept talking. And it was, a, it was an interesting conversation, a lot of cultural difference. But what I found out after a little bit of time is that she had a lot of questions. And so she just was able to, we were able to talk for that, that hour, and she asked a lot of questions, and, and I, was, I was sharing with her about Jesus and, t- and talking to her about it, and, and, just, and just at the end, I got to pray for her. It was a really awesome conversation. I was really happy to have it. Now, and it was, it was amazing, particularly because the way that God works things like that out. Like, if we're paying attention to life, we find that God kind of creates appointments. He, he kind of creates opportunities for us to talk to people about Jesus. And it was really actually particularly... Uh, pronounced to me in, in my experience of that ride because I got the Uber and it was going to be like 10 minutes and my, my, uh, my driver was going to be this, this guy who, I don't know, drove like a, a Suburban. But like after like five minutes, suddenly my driver just changed, became a just different driver and they didn't mention it, but my driver was this other person. And I thought, how cool is that? Like God, that, Uber had a plan. God had a different plan, right? <laughs> now, you know, I mean, maybe that just happens. Like, yeah, amen. Yeah, okay, good. I like that. I like that. Some applause. Woo, all right. Even on Labor Day weekend. All right, guys. I love that. I love that liveliness. That's wonderful. <laughs> Uber had a plan, but God had another plan, and she just, she just shows up, and we had all these questions. We had a great time to, to talk and, and all that stuff, and, and I really felt like, I really felt like, man, God, like, really set that up, and I was just really along for the ride. And I felt like walking away, that sense that really God really had it for me to be there in that place and in that time and to have that conversation. That was just sort of like a work that he had for me. But here's the thing. 
Had this happened maybe five or ten years ago to me, the person I was then, I'm not sure if it would have happened quite the same way. Like, you can always take an Uber. I, I probably could have done that five years ago. Not ten years ago. I don't think we had Ubers then. Um, it, but, but like, I could have been in a situation where I, where I had, had opportunity to talk, talk to a person about Jesus, but I'm not sure if the person I was then, I'm not sure if I would have taken the opportunity or in the way that I took the opportunity. Because what I was really surprised by is... Um, as I was kind of talking to this person, and there was a lot of, you know, challenges in the conversation because differences of culture and some language barriers, right? But I was like, really, I got out of the car and I was so excited because I felt like the Spirit led the conversation in a lot of ways and that I was very, very I was trying to listen and I had, I had some habits that I have learned over time that God has taught me about just like how to just let him lead. And I was thinking like five years ago, had I gotten in this car and had this conversation, like I wouldn't have been a person who was able to do that. And I'm not tooting my own horn. I mean, gosh, Five years ago, I was 33 years old. I should have known by then. Like, I had every excuse, right? But God is merciful, and he matures us in a pace that's right. And I was happy to say that at that point, like, I had a fruitful conversation. It was all thanks to who God has made me to be and how he's matured me over time. It's all glory to him, right? Because God does that in us. Over time, we become the kinds of people who are able to do the good works, but because we've become a kind of person. That's the thing. You aren't just someone with a to-do list for God. That's not the nature of, of, of serving him and worshiping him and being who you're created to be. You are a person who is moving and acting out of who you are, have become. That's just life. People act from their character, from what's inside of them. And so it's like, yeah, we're called to do things prepared for us ahead of time, but we are prepared to do those things by who we have become. God is making us into a person, a type of person who can follow him. And so the question is, how do I become that kind of person? How do I become that kind of person? And over the next four weeks, I'm just gonna, we're going to think through that question. How do we become people who are walking by faith, who are, who are walking into a, um, a way of renewal? And I'm, I'm calling this series spiritual, or, you know, Dynamics of Faith. And um, I have a list. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do each week. I have a list of everything that we're going to cover each week because I think that there are some dynamics that we can walk into, kind of, kind of ways of thinking, ways of being as disciples that end up transforming us as people. And there are these things. The first one is dying to the self. That's the really exciting topic. We're going to talk about dying to ourselves this morning. Aren't you so happy that you're here? You're like, yeah, let's die to ourselves. And the next one is to, to receive an identity. We'll talk about that next week. Another one is growing in godliness, growing in godliness. And then after that, just being filled with the Holy Spirit. These are kind of dynamics, dynamics at work in the life of, of maturing people, not mature people, right? But maturing people, things that we can lean into if we're going to be growing in our faith. As, and this is just kind of what everyday, the things that everyday disciples are doing. They're doing these things. They are living out these things. These are about lived practices that define us as disciples. Dynamic is a, is a cool word. Um, like, it'd be hard to kind of define in English, but it's, it's from the Greek word dunamis, right? You can hear that right in the connection right there. It's pretty obvious. And dunamis just means power. We're talking about having a kind of power in our lives, a kind of power that comes from living into these 
invitations that Jesus calls us to, because each of these are invitations. They're things that Jesus would have a fullness of. Let's talk about dying to ourselves this morning. It's something that Jesus spoke of pretty often in different language at different times, and it's actually a, a common New Testament theme. I think it's probably one of the predominant kind of spiritual dynamics, ways of talking about spiritual growth is dying to self, not only in Jesus' ministry, but throughout the New Testament. Um, and, and here's a good example of Jesus talking about the, the dynamic of dying to self from John 12. He says, Now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus replied to them. This is what he says to these, this request, that people want to see Jesus. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I, I love this little passage because um, I especially like how it begins because there's this group of, of Greeks, right? So they're non-Jews, but it seems like they're, they're non-Jews who are interested in Judaism. They're interested in worshiping God. They're going up to Jerusalem to be a part of the, some of the holy feasts. And they, decide, they hear, I guess they, they probably hear that Jesus is in the area, and they make the request. They want to see Jesus. And so they seek out Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, um, and they request an audience with Jesus. And what Philip does is he says, well, I can't really decide that, so I'm going to go talk to Andrew and see if Andrew can help arrange this audience with Jesus. Um, and Jesus replies in this way, and it's really a really strange way to reply to the request that they would see him. These Greeks, they just want to see Jesus. They just want to hear him. They want to see him. And Jesus goes off on this kind of like meditative meditative, uh, I don't know, little, little speech. He actually does give them an answer. He gives it the, to them a little bit later in verse 32. He basically says this. He says, as for me, if I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He's saying, yeah, you're going to see me one day when I'm lifted up. You're going to see Jesus. One day, not so long from now, Jesus will be lifted up on a cross for everyone to see. The king of the Jews will be crucified, left for dead, buried and forgotten until the third day when he rises again. And in rising, he's going to be glorified. And he's going to draw all people to himself at that time. In dying, in this manner of death, you are going to see Jesus. That's essentially his reply in this kind of roundabout way to these Greeks. He says, you're going to see me, but it's not going to be in this way. And what Jesus does in, in, these, in, these, in these verses here, he's, he's making it clear that either there's going to be this harvest, there's going to be this evident, clear manifestation of the kingdom of God of the great work of God to be accomplished. But in order for it to happen, a seed needs to die. And what Jesus is doing, he's taking this opportunity, speaking to those who want to see him, who want to see God move, who want to see what God is doing in their day, and he's just telling them something important about the way this is all going to happen. You want to see me, you want to see me in my glory, you want to see what God is up to, then you look to this 
He tells them, and we're reading it again, the one who loves his life will lose it. The one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus sure knows how to ruin a moment. Right? He really ruined this for these Greeks. Like, he knows, or at least, maybe not to, maybe that's, you know, I can't say that about Jesus, right? But he knows how to change the dynamic. Like, because the dynamic that the Greeks are coming into this thing at is they're seeking Jesus like a rock star. Like, you'd seek out a rock star. You go to his agent, right? Philip. And the agent will get, get the word up further up the flagpole. See, people are coming. They're seeking Jesus out. He's a big deal. He's well known. These people, they seek out Philip, and then Philip runs it up the ladder to Andrew, and then Andrew needs to go check with Jesus to see if these people can see him. And then instead of coming out and signing autographs and taking some pictures and putting them on Instagram, which would be the logical way that he would approach this, Jesus really ruins the moment, and he just says, you know, instead of me going out and seeing, this is like, just tell them this. Tell them this really great thing. Make sure they know, seeing me, being with me, following me, being interested in me is about being where I am and going where I'm going and following me into the kind of life and into the kind of, of a way of being that I am exhibiting. And where I'm going and the way I'm living my life is not a particularly attractive place. It will be hard to follow me. And if you love your life, the life that you have right now, if you love and are obsessed with kind of the, the things of this world, you really just can't see me. You can't be with me. You can't follow me. Jesus' invitation to anyone who would follow him is a strange one. It's just put in this language of dying. It's come and die so that you'll live. Come and give up this old life that you have, this thing, this, all these things that you think are valuable, and, and, and put them down and then just live, have a, a new and renewed life. Like, so what is Jesus talking about here? Because I think he's a metaphor. Part take metaphor and apply it. So, He's not like talking about being a disciples involves this dynamic of dying to yourself. If you want the eternal life that Jesus puts on offer, it's something that you receive as a gift, not something that you that you do. Like it's an invitation that God makes; He gives it out. This eternal life, but it's something that we live into, and it involves, at least in Jesus's language here, hating this life so that you can receive a new life, a renewed life. And we don't like the word hate in our culture, right? So we're kind of immediately turned off by that because it's a really strong word. But, it, but it's clear enough as we go through the Gospels and as we read Jesus' words that what Jesus is arguing for is a very serious and important spiritual dynamic that involves getting rid of the old self, the self who's caught up in the falseness of this world and taking on a new self. And, and he uses strong language, language like hate, to communicate the urgency of it. So that we might not think, ah, optional. 
I really don't think it is. Look at what Galatians 2.20, Paul talks about this, this dynamic, dying to self, living into the new thing. And he, he sort of sums it up in Galatians as really the, the point of the walk with Jesus. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The dynamic that Paul commends throughout his letters and the, the dynamic that the Jesus is teaching uh, his disciples to live into is this way of not living for yourself anymore, of dying to your old self and living into this new reality, living life, a life by the power and grace of the Son of God who has forgiven us. The spiritual dynamic of faith involves identifying increasingly with the new person that Jesus is making me into, and becoming more and more disinterested in being the old person. Spiritual growth is about moving from one state of being, one old self into this new self, living into a new reality, reality marked by faith and trust in God, to the point where we can say that we begin to hate the life that we used to have, because we think of it as so useless and such time wasted. Paul talks about that in Philippians 2. He talks about how he considers lost the things he once considers gain, right? We start to think of our old self and our old way of living and our old way of being in the world where we didn't know God and we didn't walk with him as just being wasted time to the point where we just say, man, I hate that person that I once was, but I'm so excited about the person I get to be now. And this, this process of laying behind the old and pressing into the new, I, and I think Jesus' language underlines this, it can be an emotional and sometimes a painful process, just like giving birth. Pretty emotional and painful, right? But life comes through it. There's a, there's a monk by the name of Thomas Keating, and he says this, uh, the spiritual journey is not a success story but a series of humiliations of the false self that become more and more profound. That's like heavy. But I really think this is true of the nature of dying to, to ourself. Um, and I think Keating is getting to the heart of it. What we're doing as we're growing in our faith is we're becoming more and more deeply aware of the uselessness of the old self and the self that's obsessed with, with material things and things that won't ever satisfy this false self, to use Keating's language. That's not biblical language, false self, but I think it's, I think it's still appropriate to the point that we come to, to hate that false self. And I know the word humiliation is aggressive, like, like hate is, is, is aggressive when Jesus used it, Right? But understand this, and I think this is important. I put, I've made a little equation, a little math equation. Humiliation is just humility applied. We all want humility. Everybody kind of intuitively values humility. We think, oh yeah, it's good. You don't want to be prideful. You want to be humble. You want to be a person who just can trust the Lord. But here's the thing. is In order to become, you know how, how humble people are created? Humility gets applied and we're humiliated. Like we come to this awareness that, man, I was trying to be someone else and I was an idiot for wanting to be that person. I was like living my life after some values and some sense of, of what would be for my good and I'm realizing now that was just wasted time. Humiliation is just the active form of humility. 
And humility really matters for us in terms of following Jesus. In Luke 14, 11, Jesus says this, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus flops the world on its head. He flops our ideas of what it means to be a happy and contented self on their head. He does that all the time. It's, it's just kind of disconcerting, honestly. But Jesus doesn't want to protect our feelings necessarily, right? And it's not that he's like disregarding our feelings, but he knows that we need to go through this process of humbling ourselves so that we can wake up to what we're invited to. We have this invitation from Jesus. This is an invitation. The one who humbles himself will be exalted. Who's going to humble you, according to this verse? You're going to humble you. It's not like God's doing something to you, like he's being mean to you, and you're just going to say, okay, God, fine, I'll take it. What Jesus' invitation to disciples is, would you just humble yourself? Would you, would you live a life of applied humility? Would you go out of your way to understand that there's something so much better for you than to live after this stuff, this, this self that's caught up in the world and just enmeshed and entangled with all these things that you think you want and you need. He says, if you would just get rid of that stuff and get your eyes on something better and just go ahead and humble yourself because if you, you got to humble yourself in order to just be, just be living into this new person that you're called to be. I think that this is really the invitation to everyday discipleship. It's an invitation to live into a dynamic of faith that will turn you into not a, not a miserable worm of a person who's just saying, oh, life is so terrible, and oh, I'm, just, I'm, I'm so humble, God, but into a person who can see and live into the truth of what we're invited into, which is all my strength and all my joy and my true life is just found in trusting God and in saying, forget everything else. There's, there's an invitation to live an exalted life, a life of humility, an exalted life, a life of just trusting Jesus, of saying, I'm, I'm, all I am is a person who is a disciple of you. And this is something that we don't take up passively. That's the thing. We just want to say, oh yeah, sure. I mean, eventually I'll get humbled because that's what life does to you. But the invitation of Jesus to his disciples is actually to live into this reality, not to be passive about it. Not to think, well, just humility will happen. If you, this is what I'm trying to say this morning. This is the one thing. If you want to live a life caught up in this dynamic of faith that is full and meaningful, have a faith that is satisfying, then you ought to take meaningful, planned steps, intentional steps to die to your false self, to humble yourself, and to live into what God calls you to do. And I spent probably 25 years of my life as a Christian not realizing that actually that was the invitation of discipleship. To actually say, no, I'm going to live in such a way that I'm going to be intentionally advancing this kind of spiritual progress that Jesus is talking about. We really love to talk about high and mighty things without getting practical at all. I love it. Because then I can feel important and smart but I don't have to do anything. It's totally undemanding. Jesus' way of discipleship is demanding because he's asking us to humble ourselves and to take up this call. So I want to get practical. I want to get practical for the rest of the time that we have, which is 
a little while. Okay, good. Uh, how do we do that? How do we do that? And I think basically, categorically, we do it two ways. Uh, first, we die to ourselves. We humble ourselves in planned ways and in spontaneous ways. So let's talk about the planned ways that we can die to ourselves. Um, the first is this. I invest time in relationships. Hope you don't. Invest time in relationships that do not benefit you. That is a way that you can die to yourself. I take that from uh, Luke 14, 11 through 14. Jesus says this. He said to the, uh, the one who had invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back, and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus said a lot of stuff that's weird to us. Why does it matter who I spend my time with? Why does it matter what kind of relationships I have? Like, isn't it good to have friends and family and loved ones? And, and yes, 100% it is. But what Jesus kind of leans his disciples into throughout his ministries is he asks them to look at their social lives, their relationships that they have, and he asks at times for, for, for us to invest in people and things that, have, that are not going to benefit you at all. And that in doing that, we're actually going to find something really valuable because Jesus really understands the human condition very well. Jesus understands that everybody is caught up in their false self. And Jesus understands that we are, by and large, caught up in a world system, right? And when Jesus talks about the world, it's not a positive thing. He talks about the world as, as kind of a negative reality that most of ex us experience. And that we are just caught up in this, this world, which is kind of trying to define who we are and make us into the sorts of people who are essentially consumers, we are, and Jesus understood this, and in the way he talk, talks about the world, is very clear that he understood this. We are caught up in a world system that constantly reinforces the dehumanizing values of consumerism. That I want to spend time with people who can serve me and benefit me, who make me feel good about myself. And that's, of course, logical to a degree. But what Jesus says is that we should also be spending time with people who can do nothing for us. The poor, the maimed, the blind. People we don't particularly like. You know, if you can invest time with people like that, actually, we're going to be doing really well. Because we live in a world that tells us that we need to constantly be networking, be serving our interests, maximizing our influence. It's telling us to use our relationships to prop up these ideas about our false self that is just not really valuable to us. But Jesus understands that all of that is really just leading us to become selfish, prideful people. And so he invites his disciples to do intentional things to remind themselves that you're not as, hot, as much of a hot, hot stuff as you think you are, right? That I'm not, as, I'm not really hot stuff, and I don't need to really think of myself as so important. Jesus teaches his disciples to employ practices like this to remind us that we are not so great and are not so important, and that we actually need to die to this self that thinks we are so great and so important. And we do that by investing in habits and in, 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 in actions that, that are uh, counterintuitive 
to our natural way of thinking. We naturally think that my relationships are there to serve me, but Jesus calls his disciples to be servants. And so we can just come and serve other people in our relationships. If you want to live a humble life, one where you're becoming someone that you actually want to be, I think this is a very practical way forward. Now, I'm not talking about going cold turkey on relationships that are helpful and nice and that we enjoy. I'm just talking about taking little steps in your life to invest in people who offer you nothing and to give them the gift of your presence and your time. Time for Americans in 2022, it's 2022, yeah, it is 2022, is the thing that we hoard the most. It's the thing that we can't spare any of. And I think wasting time is part of just being a humble disciple and becoming a humble disciple, giving people who are not going to help us advance our careers or our lives or our emotional well-being, just giving people something and expecting nothing back from them is, is a really a way forward. Second way forward is, is, is more giving. It's actually not just giving of time, but it's giving sacrificially. Giving sacrificially. This is 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. I, I, I probably bring this up about once a year. I think it's relevant to us because um, if you live in western Washington, you are wealthy. It doesn't matter even if you're relatively poor. If you can live here, you are a wealthy person. So here is what uh, Paul tells Timothy to instruct those who are rich, okay? And let's just hear it, okay? This is, this is the word of God, okay? So let's listen. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the age, the coming age, so that they will take hold of what is truly life. Paul understands so clearly that there is a way of dealing with my finances and the riches, the wealth that I've been blessed with, which is not a, a bad thing, by the way. God gives you something wonderful, a gift to be received with thanksgiving. But how do you use that gift? That is a, another question. And, and what Paul makes super clear to Timothy here is that we should use our gifts, the gifts, the treasures, the, the, the wealth, the influence, the power that we've been given so that we may take hold of what is truly life. Money has the power to blind us and to get us obsessed with keeping it. That's the thing about wealth. More money, more problems. Prophet once said. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Another dad joke. Another dad joke. I've done it. Done it again. Um, but that's the thing. It's like, it's like, <laughs> the reason there is more money, more problems is because the more money you have, the more you're concerned about keeping it. The more you have status and power and wealth in this age, the more you're obsessed with hoarding it, just like with time. The more, you, the more you feel like your time is a utility for you to use to better your life, the more you're going to keep it to yourself and not share it. But we are given things in life to use for God's glory and to put at the disposal of him, and our wealth is part of that. 
But here's the thing about giving sacrificially and making time for other people is that we are, and I am really good at making excuses and giving us reasons why we don't need to do that. I am really good at making excuses for myself as to why I don't need to do this. But if you are actually practicing planned dying to self, you'll know it because it will either show up on your calendar, there will be a spot for it, or it will show up in your budget. It'll show up in ink. That's reality. <laughs> I want to challenge you to like lean into that reality. If you're thinking, okay, I see what Jesus is trying to do. I see what Paul's trying to instruct us in. Think about it. And I'm not saying give to the church. You know what? If you think like I'm trying to just give it somewhere else. I don't care where you give it. Give it anywhere. I don't, don't care at all. <laughs> um, we can talk about giving to church later. I'll do an hour-long sermon on that at some point. <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm just saying, like, like, again, we have this capacity to want to practice discipleship without practicing anything. And you will know if you are practicing these sorts of things if it shows up on your calendar or in your budget. It's going to be in ink. It's going to be something you intend to do. And I think, honestly, I think this is the thing that the American church doesn't do. We, have, we, we are very smart. <laughs> we have lots of books. We have lots of, uh, you know, small group material. Do we simply say, Jesus, I understand. You invite me to be someone who is dying to myself, and I'm just going to put it on my calendar. I'm going to put it in my budget. I'm going to put into practice these things that you call me to do. I think in that regard, we, we tend to have lots of excuses. I'm not bagging on the church. Actually, this church is particularly awesome at these things. You guys serve. You guys give. Um, if, you, if you don't, I'm just saying, hey, invite you right in. Because what you're doing when you do these is you're taking hold of what is truly life. You are investing into things that actually matter and becoming the kind of person who can be less uh, enmeshed with the false self who is obsessed with the things of this world, we are invite, invited to give away ourselves. And it's a good thing to do. It actually ends up bringing us into a place where we can end up truly living and relying on God and being filled with His Spirit and being renewed. And so, like, planning is super important, a really, part, uh, a really important part of kind of being a disciple. Um, but the thing about life is it will also provide ample opportunities to practice dying to yourself spontaneously. Every single day, you will be surprised at ways in which you can put down this false self, this, this self who just loves to be served and be the center of all attention, and you can... You will find lots of opportunities to just, to just let the, the Lord uh, be your satisfaction, your hope. Um, I can't remember who said it, but there's a little phrase that I like. It's, everyone wants to be a servant until someone treats them like one. Isn't that true? Everyone wants to be a servant until they get treated like a servant. They say, hey, I'm not a servant, right? But the thing is, right, yeah, if we're going to be called to be the sort of people who are giving our lives away for the sake of serving others and blessing other people and living into a reality uh, that, that God has for us, then we are going to, at times, be treated like a servant, and we need to be prepared. You're not going to know when that's going to happen. Um, so I, I, I've put this one spontaneous um, thing as, as accepting indignities. 
Well, that's a very high and mighty way of saying that when people treat you like a servant, you just say, okay, that's what I'm going to be. Life is full of indignities. I was sitting around talking with Molly about this the other day, and we were at dinner at the dinner table, and I have four lovely children, but they're all so different, and they all have different palates. There is not a single meal that we can make and serve that everybody says, all right, never. Never has dinner been anything but a place of, of indignity. <laughs> Right? right? Like, we come, and Molly's talking about this. She's like, she's like, I would just love for once just to serve, serve food and just have everyone say, thank you, Mother. <laughs> thank you so much for this meal. It's never happened. Probably won't ever happen. <laughs> and, but you know what it is? It's an opportunity to say, I'm just, I guess I'm just going to serve these people. <laughs> and they're not going to thank me for it. <laughs> and life is going to be difficult sometimes. Um, and you know what, like when stuff like that happens, like we can choose. We can choose to be resentful and bitter. And look, I'm not saying they get a pass. I'm not saying they get a pass. They eat that dinner <laughs> and they're told that they shouldn't whine. That's parenting, you know, that's, that's life. But, you know, from Molly's perspective, she's, she's learning, learned. I, I, think, I think she does a great job of it. Just not to hold on to this, this need to be celebrated this need to be affirmed at every moment. Because the truth is that life just won't do that for you. If your hope is that your life will become just, just an awesome celebration of who you are, that is a, a, a pipe dream. That is not life. And not only that, to go through life and to suffer the difficulties that come with it and to, to, with, with kind of a joy that looks past them is a really good way of living. I think it's probably the only way of really living in a satisfied way. I'm not, I, I want to be very clear what I'm not saying. I'm not talking about suffering abuse. That is not what I'm talking about. There are some people in your life who are truly abusive, and you probably don't need to put up with that. But in the normal course of everyone's life, at your workplace, at your school, on the road, you will suffer indignities, right? And you have a choice like to get really angry or hurt or offended because you had some expectations about what relationships should be like. Um, or you can just say, you know what? I'm a disciple of Jesus, the one who gave his life as a ransom for many, who for the joy set before him died served, cared for others, put their interest above his own, and you could live after that way. I think that what being a discipleship does is it gives us an imagination for how to turn the difficulties of life into things that can uh, push us more towards God and actually give us a lot of joy in doing them. Because I'll tell you, like, it can be, it can be painful to suffer uh, when, people, when people don't uh, respect you or acknowledge your value. Or you can just look at that and just say, but I know that Jesus sees me and knows me and cares about me so much. And so I don't have to put all my stock in the things of this world because they're dying anyway. Instead, I'm going to take this as an opportunity to learn to die to myself, the self that wants to be loved and celebrated at every moment. 
And instead, I'm going to re- realize that I have everything I want in Jesus. And I can be fully satisfied. It's like this inner work, right? And you can't plan on it because you don't know when someone's going to cut you off or tell you you're lame or insult you at work or treat you badly. You don't know when that's going to happen. But you need to have this mindset in your, in your mind ready to meet those things with the joy of a disciple who's serving, giving themselves away. The other way um, that I think is, is, is very uh, a helpful way to spontaneously die to oneself is to be misunderstood. Allow yourself to be misunderstood. I hate this one. Like, my job is talking and making people understand what I, what I want to say, what I, what I think the scriptures say. And um, I hate being misunderstood. Why do I hate being misunderstood? Honestly, because I want people to think that I understand. Because I get a kick out of being somebody who gets things. Don't we all? But the practice of allowing, uh, just, just allowing myself to be misunderstood sometimes has been, for me, a very, a very freeing thing. Allow yourself to come off as an idiot, another way of saying this, right? Um, right? But we don't, we don't like that. But it, again, it does the same sort of thing by accepting indignities, allowing myself to be misunderstood, teaches me, teaches me in my heart, in, in, in a way to, to treasure the things of the Lord and his perception of me more than the things of people. And I got to tell you, like, this is it. Like, we are obsessed with what people think about us. And if you're obsessed with what people think about you, you can't be obsessed with what Jesus thinks about you, which is what you're called to be as a disciple. Somebody who's leaning into, first and foremost, the relationship with God, the relationship that you have with him. Worship team is going to come up, and I'm just going to leave you with this, this one little thought. And that's that the spiritual life, following after Jesus, it's like willfully walking into a maze and not knowing the way out. We go to corn mazes. We'll soon be at our corn mazes, right? It's coming up. The fall is coming. Um, right? And we, we think that that's fun. We think it's fun because we know we'll get to the other side. But I think a lot of times, like, we, we come up to some of the invitations of disciples, this, the invitations to be misunderstood, to serve people without getting any reward, to give sacrificially to the point where it hurts, to uh, allow me to go through life suffering indignities. And we think, well, if I go into that way of living, like, how will I know that I'm going to get safely to the other side? A lot of times, the reason that we stay the same and that we don't walk, take, take, practical steps of discipleship is because we are afraid that we will pay a price that we cannot recover if we go ahead and start living after this way. I think particularly people who um, have done well in life, wealthy people, people who, are, who, who do well in their careers, and again, nothing wrong with this, but, but there can be a, a sense of fear that, man, if I start to live this sort of way, a way differently than what I've learned to, to live that has brought me lots of success, how can I guarantee that I'm going to continue to have the things that I have? And the truth is that following Jesus, there is no guarantee. That's what faith is. Having a confidence that the one in whom we are putting our faith, the one in whom we're trusting, is capable, competent, able to direct our lives in a way that is better and lead us to outcomes and places that are better than the ones that we could lead ourselves. Dying to self is dying to my, my control. 
It's dying to, to, to just my, my uh, compulsive need to make sure that I have enough and have all the power in my abilities and in my storehouses in order to get everything I want. It's like following Jesus is like walking into a maze and just saying, God, I know you're going to get me out of this mess, but I'm going to walk into it because I think, because I, I want to see Jesus. I want to see you, Jesus. Like, I have heard about you. I know what you're like. You've shown, revealed yourself to me a little bit in my life. And I want more. I want to see you, Jesus. And so if we want to see Jesus, then we walk with Jesus into this maze where we're just throwing ourselves upon him, dying to the false self, the self that's just obsessed with the things of the world and just saying, Lord, meet me in the maze. Meet me in the maze and bring me out to the other side because I think there's something good on the other side. There's a way of living, a way of living with the Lord that is good. And so we need to walk into the mess and take some risks. Take some risks. There's risks involved in faith. If there aren't risks involved in your faith, I would say you need to take some. Because your faith could be so much stronger. Like, like, like if, if we have faith that involves no risk, then we probably have a faith that we experience as weakness. If you want to be strong, you want to trust in the Lord, you want to have a satisfying spiritual life, take some risks, walk with Jesus into difficult situations, and meet him in those places. Because that's who we're becoming. Becoming people who can trust. Not people who do things. I'm not, Jesus doesn't give you a list. He says, become the kind of person who is really interested in me and in knowing me and in seeing me and not so obsessed with all these other things that don't really matter, that won't last for eternal eternity. Become a sort of person who can trust me. Become a sort of person who will just live their life in a way that they are able to listen and hear and follow these are really awesome. These are dynamic things that we can live into, and it leads us to a powerful and satisfying faith life. So that's my invitation to you guys. Uh, live into this dying to self. Um, hey, let's, let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for this church, Lord. I thank you that there's so much faith in the people who live here, Lord. It's a lived faith. And yet, God, with you, there's always an invitation to more. There's always an invitation to be more trusting, uh, more walking with you, more full of your spirit, seeing you work all the more, seeing us be changed and transformed into people who can truly trust the Lord. We want all that you have for us. So Jesus, I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray that even right now you would convict, Lord, Lord that there wouldn't be any guilt, Lord. Guilt is not the thing. Guilt is not going to change us, Lord. Conviction, leading, your, your, your kind and gracious hand that invites us to a better way, Lord, would that uh, be here in this place? Holy Spirit, would you just lead us into your ways everlasting, your peace, your grace, God? Would you fill us up, I pray, in Jesus' name? Amen. Hey, let's uh let's worship together.